this is Seth Mosley, and you are watching or listening to the Full Circle Music Show, The Why of the Music Biz. And I'm Exo Connor, and today we sat down with Sam Tinez, a legendary writer, doing a lot of pop stuff these days, sync for film and TV, just great episode. I learned a ton. Yeah, this was great, and, and the title that I kind of pulled out of it was a just nugget bomb. Don't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 30. That's amazing. I'm going to be using that. Sam, if you're watching this, you need to probably trademark that because that's gold. But um, yeah, we learned a whole lot. Uh, yeah. He talked about the struggle, you know, yeah. moving to Nashville, going through years of not making money um, and just really, really plowing through and eventually having a breakthrough. Yeah, and just how just dedication and commitment and just how every little step you take actually builds towards the bigger picture of what you're doing and how you just need to keep going no matter what's happening. Yeah, so this is a great show. Stick around all the way to the end of it. Um, if you haven't already, uh, follow us on, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube if you're watching this or if you're listening to this on iTunes, leave us a good rating, good review, subscribe to us on iTunes. And I think we should just jump right in, right? Yeah, let's get into this episode with Sam Tennis. Well, we're here in the studio with uh, our good friend Sam Tenez. Hey, guys. How's it going, buddy? Amazing human being, artist, writer, <laughs> producer. What else do you do? <laughs> uh, cat wrangler. Cat wrangler. Do you have Having cats? a cat, yeah. No, Having I don't. I, I, know that's I just job. thought it sounded cool. <laughs> well, working with artists. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, like that's a lot of wrangling, wrangling there. cats. Yeah. So, um, man, just I, I've known you for a while, and you're having massive success today with Pop radio, film and TV placements, promos, all of this just massive stuff that um, to the world maybe looks like it kind of happened overnight, but yeah. we both know that's not the case. Like, you've been at this thing for a long time. Can you can you yeah. just share how you moved to Nashville? Like, what, what was it that kind of got you into the music business? Yeah, you know, um, when I was in high school, I had this little band with my friends, and, um, and we somehow we're playing some uh, party where an Interscope A&R was there, which, you know, now knowing how A&R works, I think it was somebody on the lower end of the totem pole, but we were stoked because he had the official email and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, and he approached us. It's and true. Anytime you get the email yeah. from yeah. Bob, <laughs> even if he's the IT guy. Like, guys, don't worry about it. I got yeah. the Interscope <laughs> email right here. Yeah, he's like, don't worry about the title underneath. Um <laughs> But uh, he can't. Give janitorial service. <laughs> Does that say toll booth attendant? <laughs> but uh, we were we were stoked that he you know approached us and met with them. And at the time he was um, working with like Outcast and some other people that were in in Atlanta while we were there. And um, and they approached us about signing a development deal. But the other two guys were smart and they were like, "I'm going to school." And um, one is a pharmacist now, and the other one like works for the CIA or something. Wow. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, I was the only one who really wanted to pursue it. So it just kind of fell apart. And I thought, I mean, I thought my world was crumbling. I thought everything was over. Um, you know, all the, this whole time in high school, I was playing shows and working hard to try to get to this point. And then it was all crumbling before me. And, you know, I tried to do it by myself, but it wasn't, it didn't feel the same. So I ended up going to um, Belmont University after visiting and just kind of feeling a vibe in Nashville um, that, you know, it was just a music city. And so that's kind of, that's kind of what drew me was college. Um, and I was like, mom, I'm going to go to college until, until I decide to sign, you know, until I decide to sign somewhere. And she's like, okay, honey, you know, like, all right, little guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, do what you think. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Belmont, what, what happened, what happened next? Yeah. So, um, when I went to Belmont, uh, 
you know, it was um, it was a bit of a, a faith journey for me at Belmont. I, you know, I was kind of in high school. I was kind of running away from everything in that realm, and um, and I kind of just slammed right into this moment where. I intersected with God, and and in that same moment, I was walking. You know, the same day that that kind of happened, I was walking down our um, dorm room and um, hallway, and I and I heard some music coming from a, a room, and I popped my head in. And I heard, "We need an electric guitar part right here," and I was like, "I can do that." Okay, I was like, "Hey guys, I can do that. Hold on, let me go get my guitar." And so I ran and got my guitar, played a little part. They didn't even play me the full song. And then they played it back, and I realized, oh no, this is this is these are Christians. I'm like, this is Christian music. I was like, oh no. I'm like, okay, guys, I'll see you later. Because so you not grow up listening to Christian music? Well, you know, I I did when um a little bit like Amy Grant and stuff like that that crossed over into mainstream and and even like you know the first Jars record and the the DC Talk Jesus Freak record. Those were like kind of some of my first stuff. Um, but at that time, like I said, I was just on a weird faith journey where I just wasn't into it. I just wasn't into Christianity in general. And, um, and, but, you know, got intersected by this thing and just, I started hanging out with those guys and through that we started playing shows and I just, you know, just full on, you know, 180 flip happened. And, uh, it was a really cool experience to kind of have that happen and um and, but also you know we were creating music that was kind of doing similar things for other people and that kind of um we did years and years of doing shows at belmont and that led to a record deal at curb before we graduated so you get the record deal with curb i mean i you know most people moving to nashville or or who want to move to nashville or break into the industry kind of think that's like yeah. the crown jewel you get the Get the record yeah. deal, and then it's all downhill from there. You don't have to do anything anymore. You just have to show up to shows. <laughs> oh man, write the music. It's, yeah, it's all done. Private you know, jets. <laughs> yeah, private jets. You know, if I'm honest, I think I had a little bit of that same assumption. You know, when we signed, it was just like, yes, everything is happening. Like this, you know, next year. I even told my wife because we were, you know, we were getting, we weren't a uh, husband and wife at the time. We were boyfriend and girlfriend. But I was like, you know, next year I'm gonna be gone a lot on tour and stuff. And you know, like I, you know, I. <laughs> Just being so like so like so we should probably cool. get the sixty thousand square foot house because yeah gonna be yeah exactly. I was like I'm gonna be gone a lot so like you got to really brace yourself for this but what I realized was the day you know the funny thing is the day I signed I ran out of gas in my car um, and had to have one of the guys come fill up my car because I was yeah. so broke I didn't have money to fill up my car and um, and also I was working valet every single chance that I could in between us playing shows. Here I was signed to a record label and I'd have my publishers pulling up in their cars and I'd open the door and they'd be like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, you guys don't pay me enough. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be so shocked that I was valeting. I'm like, how am I supposed to survive? So it was a, it was kind of a rude awakening to have to still be valeting and doing all. I mean, I was I worked for an auction company where we'd go to dead people's houses and ca you know catalog their stuff. I mean, anything to keep doing music wow. is what we did. So, <laughs> one of the guys crazy. dressed up like a monkey on the side of the street with a sign, like like while we're signed, we're <laughs> we are signed artists at this point in time, and we're doing that kind of stuff, you know. So uh, after you after you signed, how long was it before you guys started <laughs> diving into your first record? Uh, you know. It was a really long time. Like I thought it would be immediate, but um, you know, Curb Mike, like many record labels, is pretty smart in how they do it. In that, 
a, a single has to take off before they really commit to a full record. Yeah. So, you know, we had one single that, you know, we were kids and we were just like so stoked. We thought, okay, this is going to be it. And then it wasn't that one. And then we had another one that came out and it was produced by Jason Ingram and, and it did pretty well. It was kind of the start of it doing well, but it still wasn't enough to trigger a record. And then we had another song that we did that was kind of um, part of well, beginnings of record with Jason um, that was called Let the Waters Rise and that was the one that hit. And that was kind of like, honestly, that was the biggest song we ever had. The first big one that we had was the last big one we had. Um, <clears throat> so like, it's just kind of interesting how that happened, but it triggered the record mm -hmm. and um, yeah. And that and the band was Mike's chair. Yeah, the band was Mike's chair, yeah. Yeah. So how long did you, how long did that last, that part of your career? Mike yeah, Chair? you know, I did that, um, including college. I did that for about eight years, so four years in college and then four years out of college. Um, so it was it was a long time. Like, I, I learned a lot about publishers. I learned a lot about touring and merchandise and dealing with people and promoters and driving crazy hours in a crazy van. And What did you learn? Oh man, I I feel like I feel like I learned like overall like overarching it's not as glamorous as you think it is. You know, you see this artist and they're doing these amazing shows at festivals and they might even be headlining, but it's like the amount of grunt work that went in to get to that place. I'm not naive anymore to think that you just pop on the scene and you have that. You know, it's I mean, it's probably 600 shows before you ever really get a decent spot on a festival, you know, and I mean, 600 shows of, I tell people it's like touring is like, you wake up early in the morning, you drive eight hours, if not more, you unload everything, you set up the merch table, you set up the sound, you know, you sound check, then you play the show, then you sign, then you tear down the merch, you, you count it out, then you tear down the sound, and then you get everything back in your trailer, and you drive another eight hours to the next place, and you wake up and do it all over. It's like, if you feel like you can do that and like you wake up every morning wanting to do that, you're crazy, but awesome. You know, like yeah, you, you have to want to do it's that. It's for you. Then. It's for you. Yeah. I like, I got done with eight years of it doing nothing but van touring and I was like, I'm done. I think I, I was like, I literally think I put a notch on my belt for all touring ever. <laughs> that's a lot of work. I mean, we've, we've worked with artists that, yeah, they've even said, you know, being signed to the label, that's the first step. But it's like, that's when the hard work actually begins. Yeah, it's like, so There was true. a lot that went into getting there, but it's like now there's expectations, there's money, there's all this stuff. And yes. You got to live up to a lot of things. I was lucky in that I wasn't the lead singer. So I feel like a lot of the pressure of a lot of it what didn't yeah. like lean on me. I was, you know, guitar player, background vocalist. So poor Mike had uh, probably mountains of pressure on his shoulders uh, to kind of be the mouthpiece and kind of help with vision and you know I think we we partnered in that but I think still it's a lot of pressure for the singer you know yeah. so from from that point I mean how, how did that kind of end like yeah so the, for me you know there? for me we we did this um we did this tour I won't name what the tour was but we did this tour and it was with a bunch of other bands and it just like it was I think it was just so demoralizing. Like we we would play these shows and there'd be like six or seven bands and we'd play for three hundred people or something and like we we could barely sell enough merch or, you know, whatever to get to the next place. And it was just you know, meanwhile our single was doing really well. I think that one at the time was like someone worth dying for and it was doing really well and people, you know, were really connecting with it live and you could tell that, you know, it was having an impact and that was that was special. That's what always kept me 
in was the was seeing that like that feeling that God was using me every day. And I think that feeling is almost an addicting feeling, you know, because you're like, well, God's using me in this. And so it kept me in it for a really long time, even when I also felt, though, that God was kind of saying to move and do something different, you know. And I think um, if I could go back, I think I would probably listen to God's prompting a little earlier because I think I think if I would have left when I felt like God was saying, hey, you need to change and do something different. Not that anything would be different in my life, but I think that I would have would have had less trauma, you know what I mean, on my way out. So like when I when I left, the guys were very surprised, of course, and I think it was very abrupt because that tour happened and it was just a rough tour. And I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. And I I think for me it was like, okay, guys, I'm I'm done with this. I don't know what I'm gonna do from here, but I'm done, you know. And um, it was rough because me and Mike wrote all the songs together, and um, you know. It was definitely not the way to do it to just end immediately. You know, I could have, I you know, being older now and looking back at my my younger self, I'm like, could have done it different. But what can you do? Right. Like, so I mean, after that ended, I, were you were you burned out on music or what? You what know, for your- for um for a while, I kind of had to hide out because I had. I had a leaving member um, option in my record deal, which I didn't realize. So when I left, I, I realized, oh my gosh, my lawyer was like, so here's the thing. Um, you have a triggered option to where they could sign you for another five records, you as an individual, individual artist, um, for 75% of what, what they're paying you as a band. And I was like, but I'm not an artist. And she's like, yeah, but they still could lock you into a publishing and a record deal. And I was like, no i'm like please i'm like help me help me she was like you know okay well you need to lay low you need to send in you know a letter not from me handwritten by you you know and so we did all this stuff and honestly it was um it was kind of a miracle that i was able to break from that contract um not because i didn't love curb it was just because i wasn't an artist and i was like really and they knew it you know i think but you know but it was kind of a really scary moment where i was like this could really end my entire career because I don't want to be an artist at the time, you know, and here was this thing that could trigger me and lock me into this company, you know. What did laying low mean? Oh, man. It, it like, literally meant, like, anytime anybody reached out, I would I would kind of have to be like, I don't know if I'm doing music anymore, you know, and, and kind of, like, not writing and not really doing anything. I mean, I was, like, just every day just, like, working out, coming home, you know, I was like buying and selling guitars to try to like make enough money to pay our rent and like just always dumb stuff like that, you know, to try to. But I was like really I wasn't trying not to see anybody at all. So that was interesting. And so how long did that last? Like, uh, How long was that lull before you kind of started jumping back? It, it was 120 days because, you know, and um, so after the 120 days happened, you know, they came looking around like, hey, what's going on with this? And I was like, oh, actually, the contract's done. And so then from there, I really didn't have any direction. From there, I was going like, all right, what next? You know, and I thought the obvious option was to go to write for Christian artists, you know, because, you know, I was like, well, maybe I could write for other Christian artists. And so I did that for a bit. Um, I had this guy approach me from this small publishing company, um, and but they were super interested. And I was like, well, you guys know I'm not in the band anymore, right? You know, I'm not going to get any cuts with yeah. them. And I didn't have any cuts under my belt. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, we really think, like, you know, you'd be great here. And, you know, that was a cool season, you know, when I signed there. So so I think we might have connected around that point. Yeah. And you were getting some great cuts. I mean, you had songs with, you know, Natalie Grant, Plum, Mandisa, 
Uh, eventually, we had one together on Skillet. Yeah. Um, the thing that I've always appreciated about you is very much, you know, you share the heart of what Full Circle Music is, and that's we're servants first before, yeah. Bef- like music is really secondary. Like, yeah, we're really ultimately here to serve. Um, and I think that's again that just biblical mentality. Yeah. Um, I remember very distinctly there was one day in that time period that I, I, I can't remember if I was asking you for advice on like putting together a pedal board. Oh yeah. Or something, and you're <laughs> yes. like, yeah, I'll just help help come help you do it. And yeah. I was like, really? Like, so I, we hung out that one night and. Um, you helped me wire the world's biggest pedal board that <laughs> there has ever been. You guys can get Megaboard. some B-roll yeah. of that if you want to, <laughs> but it's massive. Um, but I, I don't know. That that just showed a lot. Like, I mean, you, you weren't, um, you know, it was just, just to do it. And, and yeah. so, so that that's one thing that sticks in my head. Um, and at some point during that season, it seems like yeah. you kind of had a – uh, shift. I don't know. Was it was it mentality? Yeah. Was it that you had just gotten burned out on doing the cert- a certain thing? Uh, I don't. You know, I don't really know exactly. Uh, you know, as far as like if it was a feeling or like a a thing. I just you know, there was all this other stuff going on in the background. I was working with um, uh, with the Pharaoh Brothers a little bit with Josh and Zach, and I had I bumped into them through a Bible study, and you know we we you know worked on some music together, and I think. They, you know, they were so funny that, you know, we were all coming from different things happening. And um, I think it was kind of like, uh, you know, they were kind of coming from more of a pop punk background with Paramore. And I was coming from more of a Christian thing. And we were all kind of diving into this alternative ocean of music that was happening, which was Seawolf and Local Natives and The National. And I really fell in love with that. And so I feel like with them you know it was kind of this cool incubation period for all of us where we you know we were all diving into that and i more so a lot more so than them i didn't have any familiarity with a lot of that stuff because i was so entrenched in christian music and so when i had heard that i was like oh my gosh this is the kind of music that i make naturally i didn't even know this was a thing you know and so i think that realization that it was a thing was part of the beginning and then the second thing was um i was writing with ian keggy at the time and uh, Ian, and he was in Hot Shell Ray. Yeah, at the time. and he was in Hot Shell Ray, and um, he he had just actually, I think he just left, and we were writing for his solo stuff. Um, and uh, and uh, his friend um, Maggie had heard some of the stuff that we were writing, uh, Eckford, and she was like, she reached out to me and was like, hey, I'd love to write some some stuff with you. And um, and I looked her up and I was like, oh my gosh, like this girl's a giant, like she <laughs> kills it, you know, and. and um, and it was mostly in the TV film world, and I had never really done anything in that space before. And so she was kind enough to, you know, still want to write. And uh, and I pulled in the only producer that I knew that was top level, Matt Bronlewy. And um, and I was like, I'm gonna bring in. I was like, Matt, you've got to do this. I had to convince him a little bit, as as far as like, because I don't think. You know, not convince him because he didn't know Maggie, but convince him to do a write with me. Because at the time, even we weren't writing a ton, and here I was, just this guy. You know, whatever. I wasn't wasn't doing anything. What it, What was it that you had said to him that you feel like convinced him to do that and to take that really take that risk? Yeah, I I told him. You know, I told him. You know, some of the stuff I'd been writing with Josh and Zach, and then I also, you know kind of told him about Maggie's um, background of like, I mean, at the time Maggie had landed like a, an Olympics commercial and an Apple commercial and all this cool stuff, so you she, know, she had already kind of had some success. Yeah. She had had like, some success and her, yeah. her stuff at the time then was kind of 
um, more like quirky and singer songwritery. And so it's just funny how it ended up. But we, we got with Matt and um, yeah, th- that convinced him to do it. You know, it was just I was like, I've got some stuff going on. And, you know, I was like, Maggie's got some stuff, even though the, nothing in my world that really materialized enough to really get him in the room. Well, I think that there, I mean, there's a huge lesson in that. And I don't want to skip over that. But um, to people listening out there on Full Circle Music Show, a lot of people um, are like, well, how do I get in the room with these guys? The thing that I like about that story is that Sam um, created some kind of value yeah. for Matt. You weren't just expecting him to show up and write with you just for fun like yeah that's definitely one thing i've i learned through that experience and and others it was just like if i want to write with a big dog you know somebody like matt level who's been in it for 20 years sold tens of millions of records you know and all that kind of stuff like i i need to bring something to the table you know and i and even moving forward even when i ask him for rights moving forward because i respect him so much because i value him that much i anytime we're going to get together I have a strategic reason. There's either another artist that I think we'd be great with and some momentum behind whatever we're doing. It's not just like, hey, let's just get together to jam. You know what I mean? It's like, man, that is that is gold. I hope everybody listening out there, because we get that question all the time. Well, how do I get in these rooms? You have to bring something of value to them. Just bring value, bring a relationship, bring a connection. If you're an artist, sometimes that's enough value. Yeah. Um, But that's that's huge. I'm glad you you covered that. So, so you yeah. guys wrote together. So we wrote together, and the first song we wrote was a song called Up in Flames, um, which you can check out by Ruel. And um, and she was kind of moving into the Maggie's new- under the name Ruel, R-U-E-L-L-E. Yeah, and and, uh, and at the time, you know, like I said, her stuff was kind of more um, kind of more uh, quirky singer-songwritery, but she had just kind of dipped her toe into this darker vibe. And I love dark music. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I definitely had been a fan growing up of like more alternative, like like more alternative rock, which is hilarious now because it's not that cool anymore. But but uh, but I, you know, I love like Nine Inch Nails and kind of darker stuff like that. Not the message necessarily, but the way it made me feel in the, the vibe. The vibe. Yeah, yeah, the vibe was really cool. Um, and I always felt like, you That's know, one of our favorite shows that we went know, and saw yeah, in Nashville yeah. a couple of years ago. Oh, man. Phenomenal so show. It's still to this day. Best he, sounding show I've ever heard. Yeah. He, you know, in a lot of ways, like musically, he is a genius. And, and I think, you know, like I think we, we channeled a lot of that, even on the first song, some of the Reznor vibes. And um, so that song ended up landing just the first thing it landed was like a two minute um, like no dialogue, crazy thing in this big show on ABC. And I was like, oh, well, this is just how it happens. Like. Your first placement's always like yeah. you know massive. Massive. <laughs> how how did that come about though? Because that that stuff like ABC yeah, yeah. is not just walking by the studio. No. Yeah. Like, so oh, she. That music sounds yeah, cool. I really like that guy. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's toss that in a CSI. You know, done. I was fortunate to kind of you know hop along the the um kind of the sweat and blood work that Maggie had done with getting a publishing deal. You know, so she had a publishing deal. I didn't. And Matt did as well. So both of them had publishing deals and they had pitching power behind them. So her side on a Razor and Tie, which is a, a publishing company in town, they um, they pitched it and landed it. Um, and it was just that that kept happening with that song over and over and over again. So we wrote more. And that was in this new dark kind of vibe for her called Ruel. And it was like. I, I, you know, we learned quickly that me and her, we think very similarly and um, we just write really well together. And I was super proud of some of that stuff that we were doing. Um, and so I just kept doing that as kind of the third in the room. So like, you know, you have the artist, which was Maggie, you have Matt, which is a producer. And I was always the the third, you know, I was I was definitely, you know, 
speaking into the production, but also writing the song. I was just that third guy who kind of, you know, gives helps to give a little bit more steam behind the creative process. Because, I mean, at that time, I mean, I'm sure Maggie had written hundreds of, you know, TV film songs, and I'm sure it was just nice to have somebody else in the room to have add extra flavor. So you know? how did, I asked about Matt, how did you, had you been already writing with Maggie? Was, how did uh, that relationship be? Ian. So Ian was the one who connected us. She had heard uh, the stuff that I was doing with Ian, and, um, you know, I'm thankful to him because it kind of and her because it kind of started this whole thing. And I realized while doing that with her, oh, I'm I think this is one of my specialties. Like I, I didn't realize that until I got into it. And I was like, actually, the lyrics I write are really TV film in general. Yeah. And just for for people out there and, and, and if you don't want to get into specifics, but how much can a placement like that make make a writer? Yeah. I mean. You know, with, with an in-show placement like that, I mean, it was definitely like tens of thousands for the in-show placement. And, which on, you know, for something like that, it was kind of on the low end of what placements make, which is crazy. I mean, I had been used to seeing not that much, you know. And so, like, when I got a check and it had my name on it, it was for that much, I was like, this is different. <laughs> yeah, it's got, like, it's got a comma and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's multiple zeros. That's yeah, and one. I had no management or or publisher at the time, so I I really I mean I learned the hard way though. I mean I had to like I was like signing the contracts with ABC and doing all the paperwork and doing the whole Disney portal or whatever. You have to do these things to get paid and. I learned like, whoa, these companies who pitch this stuff and they also do a lot of paperwork behind the scenes that I don't want to do, you know, yeah. but I had to do for a little while at yeah. least. So do you regret doing it that way? Uh, no, you know, I mean, I think I always love learning new things. And so I, I you know, especially on the business side, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of a businessman that, that does music, kind of like yourself, Seth. And um, so I think, you know, I think that um, it was fun. Yeah. For a while. I yeah. mean, until, until you know, the stuff that we were doing with Maggie was just placing like crazy. I was like, this is not fun anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so you're almost too much for you to keep up. It with. was, yeah. Too, yeah, it was way too much. Yeah. So uh, from, th from there, was that kind of like the ABC thing happened and then were the doors wide open? Or what did you have to just um, keep grinding for a while? You know, the um, that song kept placing multiple times and, and you know, we kept kind of writing together because we liked the partnership, all of us together. And, and it kind of had its own sound when we were writing together. And um, so we just kept doing it and it kept having placements. I mean, you know, what's funny is that like I, I talk about the money part of it, but I didn't see any money for at least a year or more. And at my wife, you know, here we are, you know, we're we're you know we just had a kid and she had gone from you know full-time to part-time on her job and it was just like it was a real struggle like I was also writing Christian music at the time you know and it was just like man I mean we were barely making it and um and I used to tease my wife I'm like I swear I swear we made a lot of money but we haven't seen it yet but I swear Did you know like on the front end what it was going to pay or yeah it yeah it's like they you know with tv film a lot of times there's a certain amount of money that they pay on the master side and then a certain amount of money that they pay on the publishing side and you know depending on what the deals are in the room you you know you split that a certain way and um and so so you know i knew what the what the amounts were going to be towards me um but i did not know that it was going to take a year and you know the whole time i was thinking like okay this is going to be great but then you know yeah. I, I, I kept on like being like where they haven't paid us, like you know. Check the mailbox every yeah. <laughs> so where's interesting? What, what did you do during that? Because that, I mean, that's a long time to kind of yeah. go with. Yeah. Like. 
you know, paid for anything really. Yeah, and that's extremely common in music too. I mean, yes, I, I think we all know from just we're I, still waiting on a check I know. from a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, ago. Exa- yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, anyone starting we'll up, not I think, say who that's yeah. from. But if yeah. you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Pay the I man. Think some people move here with the mentality of like, okay, it might take me a while. But yeah. Some people also don't realize like, hey, once I have my first breakthrough. To, f- to reap the rewards of what that might be, that's yeah. still going to be a little while. Yeah, I definitely always tease people that it's like you work so hard to make money doing music, which is so, so, you know, against all odds. Mm-hmm. But then to get the money that you made doing music, you have to fight to get that as well. So yeah. it's it's just, you know, it's a battle. And I think to, like, survive during that time, you know, we we lived on on nothing you know we lived on nothing and we really were careful on how we spent things and you know i was doing i was doing some christian music stuff which um you know some of that stuff was was bearing fruit thankfully and um it was just enough you know god god made it just enough to kind of get us by into the season that we were going into and you know i don't think i mean i thought like when we were doing that like i thought that was going to be my forever and i was like okay well how am i gonna you know, use this small amount of money to do what everything we want to do, you know, but, um, you know, typical God, he had bigger plans and, you yeah. know, thankful. So good. So fast forward to today. And this is exciting to me because as you know, my wife is Swedish. Yeah. You've got a hit on top 40 radio in all, all of, all of top 40, of the States, um, with a artist called Andreas Moss. Yeah. Did I pronounce it right? Yeah. Andreas. Andreas, yeah. Andreas Moss. And he's Swedish. Um, and just t- tell us how that happened. What was yeah? The story so there? I'm I'm weird, and I I like one of my favorite things is to go on Instagram, and I don't recommend this to everybody, but I go on Instagram, and if I see something that I love, I will reach out through the through the direct messaging. Just DM. I'll I just be DM. like, man, I'll just DM him. <laughs> I've been using DM like crazy. <laughs> it's great because it's like you know it it you don't have contact for a lot of these people and you know people checking instagram like every five seconds i don't yeah. think people realize like maybe once you get into the million two million follower range like that you might not get to them but yeah around that hundred thousand five even five hundred thousand yeah. you can sometimes get responses back so why not it's true it's true and I, you know i had heard it he put out this single that was called thinking about you and i heard the song and i was like this is this is dope like this is a smash like i i don't even understand why i don't know this guy right now you know i'm like and i was looking up like he's in nashville and then and i realized um you know that i had known him through some mutual friends and so i just direct message him and you know at the time luckily you know i mean i teased like but like you know at least there's some kind of stuff happening on my socials something so if you look because you know a lot of times when you reach out to somebody the first thing they're going to do is just go like check your page yeah they'll check your page out you're checking their page out but they're checking you out just going like well, I mean, I don't know. Like, what's this guy doing? What's he up to? You know, and that's that. I think yeah. I don't want to skip over that either because that's again, you've you've got this down. But a lot of people are still like, ah, I don't do social media. I don't do yeah. Instagram, Facebook, whatever. You, I mean, you use it as a tool. <clears throat> I do. You know, a lot of people use it for for fun and whatever else. I honestly use it for business. And I, you know, this is a this is definitely a trick that I'll hand out and. You know, some people some people may see it like humble brag, but I really I really see it as a business tool. Like I I use it like whatever perception that I want people to have of me, 
that's what I'm posting. Like that's so brand. that's my brand. So I, I see it as a branding tool. So it's like the season where I was doing Christian music. I, I posted all these Christian things and cuts and whatever else because I knew that that would allow people to see me not as the band guy from Mike's chair, but as the writer. And I, I had a hard time getting people to see me transitioning from the band guy to the writer. And then when I started doing TV film, I was like, okay, well, I'm no longer the Christian music only i'm doing tv film so i'd post more of that to kind of get that into people's brains and um and it's the same thing you know with pop you know and moving forward and it's just i just see it as like like you said a branding tool and it's very strong because it's funny how like instagram when people see your instagram they whatever you post that's what people perceive you as so you can use that negatively of like oh my life is perfect and everything is great or you can use it positively of like hey, I want to be perceived in this way on a business level, we'll, we'll start posting that stuff, you know? So that's kind of what I did. And when I reached out to Andreas, um, he immediately hit me back and was like, hey, yeah, you know, let's let's get together. I didn't know that he didn't usually write with other top liners, which is music and melody people. Like, he usually only wrote him and a producer. So, like, honestly, ignorance was bliss in that moment because he was like, yeah, let's write. But I learned later that, like, I mean, I was one of his first sessions that he had done with another, like, like, like a, songwriter. Like a writer. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Um, yeah, the first song that we wrote was the single that happened. Yeah. So, check that out. It's on Spotify. It's called? Uh, Stuck in My Feelings. Stuck in My Feelings. And where, where do people follow you on Instagram? Uh, yeah. If you just follow Sam Tenez, at Sam Tenez, uh, We'll put it. We'll put it. Yeah, in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, put a I start spelling yeah. it. It's like it's yeah. real weird. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we're wrapping up, we always like to ask. You know, thinking back to the younger you when you first moved to Nashville. Yeah. Um, thinking through that season of that year when you're waiting on the check to show up. Um, put yourself in that place. Yeah. There's a lot of other people listening to the show that are right there. They're in that place where, like, yeah. when is my break going to happen? When is my thing going to happen? Yeah. What do you say to them? You know, I think um, I think when you're in the middle of sowing seeds, you feel like it's this tedious task that is going to lead to nothing, you know. And But, you know, doing... I look back at everything that's happened, and I see this band thing where I was touring and grinding it out, and... If I if I the, if my end goal was to be a pop writer, I would go. How is touring in a Christian band ever gonna lead to this thing later down the road? You know, and they go, they're not connected at all, and you know all this other stuff. But what I learned is that these seeds that God was having me plant were building character inside my heart. They were building, um, you know, just endurance and persistence, and um, and I think that like through all those successes and failures in different realms, when I got to this season where I feel like I'm in the place where I'm meant to be, I had all these skills, this toolbox of skills that God had prepared me with. And I think, um, you know, I think that like not looking down on the seed planting, you know, you're planting the seeds and you're going like, these seeds really have nothing to do with what I want to do in the end. But trust, trust enough to know that those seeds that you're planting are going to bear the type of fruit that you want because, you know, he gives us the desires of our hearts. So those things on our hearts aren't necessarily just from us. They're from a higher place. They're from heaven, you know. And so I think that, like, for me, you know, looking back on those times, I can see them as wasted time or I can see it as, you know, a seed planting time that now is bearing fruit in my 30s 
that my teens and my 20s were planting. And it was a long time to be planting for, you know, almost, you know, 15 years or so. But I think that um, it was so worth it. And I'm super thankful to be in a place where, you know, um, my ego isn't crazy. And, you know, it's like I think success super early. I've seen it in a lot of people. It's not always great. So I think, you know, just I guess overall to just say, you know, you're you're sitting there and you're feeling like you're not doing what you really want to be doing. But if you're faithful in those small moments, you're going to get the bigger moments, you know, but you, good. you can't you can't skip any steps. You don't compare your chapter, you know, your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 30. Mm, this I'm good. in my chapter 30 right now. Yeah. You know, you can't compare your, your beginning to, to what's happening for me right now. You have to go. You have to go through it. You know, it's good. Sam Tenez, you are a legend. Thanks for stopping by. To <laughs> well, thank the you for Pulsar having Music me. Show. Yeah, man, it's great talking to you. Awesome. Hi, this is Seth Mosley. And I'm X O'Connor. You've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the Why the Music Biz. Uh, click the subscribe button if you're on YouTube right now watching us. Head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and a good review. That helps us get the word out. Um, and also, we have this pretty awesome email list that yep. sends out tips, tricks, all, all, all kinds of amazing things. Yep. Um, deals. Deals. Lots of deals. Just and deal just happens. advice. So if you want to sign up for that, go to fullcirclegoeslive.com. Don't forget to, as Sam said, follow him on Instagram. That's at Sam Tenez. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week.